We're making an ad. Napping yeah. ad. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm-hmm. He listens to the podcast every week. Yep. Has he been canceled? Wait, is Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. <laughs> So, um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. And welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week we are talking about my pick, Intruder, from 1989. Uh, We had discussed this way back on the Reddit Horror Club. And I haven't really thought about the movie much since. But every once in a while when I'm looking for great kills for my horror compilation, this movie comes up time and time again. And boy, does it have some great kills. But is it worth the full watch for them? Listen and find out. Scott, I know this is a rewatch for you and a first time for Brian. So I'm curious first with Brian what his thoughts were on Intruder. What are my thoughts on You Intruder? love slashers. Well, I do love slashers. I thought I was watching the wrong movie at first. I thought I was watching a Lifetime, like domestic violence movie like the first 30 minutes it was okay the kills were fun uh the acting was subpar so it was it was a slasher i just love i love the red herring where it's just it's so obvious like if you see a guy who's so clearly a villain and then you see people getting killed but you don't see the person killing's face I promise you that villain is not the villain. Like with <laughs> yeah. no, one hundred percent with the with the abusive ex, it's like yeah. no, seriously, he's probably the one doing the killing and you're like I mean a lot of people are dying and I haven't seen him get killed, so it's starting to feel like maybe, but I, that doesn't make any sense for it to be that obvious. And then it's just mm-hmm. somebody who's crazy about that store. I'm just crazy yeah. about this store. So this movie obviously has Sam and Ted Raimi and Bruce Campbell in it. But the, like, very, very rare, like, very light amount of Bruce Campbell, and then he's on the fucking, like, top billing. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
But it's like not shocking to me that they all agreed to be in this movie. Not just because they produced it, but like this is shot like an early Sam Raimi movie. Like in the same way mm-hmm. that people have that like, ooh, would Steven Spielberg actually direct it? Poltergeist. If someone pulled me aside and was like, Sam Raimi actually directed Intruder, I'd be like, I buy it because like so many of the shots look like they're trying to be uh, Sam Raimi shots. But the craziest thing is the producer of this movie. So so Sam Raimi was an executive producer on it and then like did a bunch of like little cameo work, right? But the guy who actually produced this movie, it was his first time producing a film. Okay, you following me here? I'm following. Do you know what the next movie is that he produced? No. His name is Lawrence ben, uh, Bender. He also wrote the movie. He followed this film up producing Reservoir Dogs. Then he oh. then he produced Pulp Fiction. Then he produced Four Rooms. Then he produced From Dust Till Dawn. Then he produced Goodwill Hunting, Jackie Brown, From Dust Till Dawn 2, which was directed by the director of uh, The Intruder, Knockaround Guys, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, Chum Scrubber, 88 Minutes. That's a weird ad. I, I just love Chum Scrubber. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, and uh, his most recent films have been Hacksaw Ridge, Greta, and the upcoming Capone movie. Wow. Yeah. That dude has gone, I mean, I don't know his name. I, I It's gone through my ear, one ear and out the other already, but like, that's fucking great. Yeah, like, that is an impressive resume for your that, first like, movie. Were you actually intrigued. just going down the list or were you just doing the movies that we know? That was just the movies that we know, but I would say that I gave you over 50% of his credits. That's fucking insane. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, obviously, based on most of those titles, he clearly got his foot in the door at Miramax through Reservoir Dogs and came a producer through them, but... Mm-hmm. Still, like, his name's attached to some of the biggest movies in, like, the 90s and early 2000s, for sure. Yeah. Dude, and Inglorious Bastards is the only Tarantino movie that I can rewatch. It's also one of the best, like, kill Nazi movies. Oh, for sure. And, and, yeah. and like, that boggles my mind that, that the guy that produced this produced that. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows I love Quentin Tarantino, and I'll rewatch all of his movies, but I've said over and over again that I genuinely think Inglorious Bastards is his best fucking movie. It's easily my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. One last note on the Quentin Tarantino thing and then bounce is that I do think that there's something interesting with Quentin Tarantino that I I feel like it's been a long time for me to realize this is that he has this weird ability to both have a very distinct style but to make sure that every one of his movies is like a dramatically different homage to a different genre that he loves. And I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of impressive, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, Intruder. The original name for Intruder was Night Crew, which I think is a way better title oh, than Intruder. Yeah, way Dude, better. Like, a thousand times better. For starters, the killer's not even an intruder. He's supposed to be there. So (laughs) this movie definitely bounces all over the place in tone. There's two fight scenes. I want to talk about the first fight scene in the grocery store because it is so hilariously over the top. There's like this crazy dramatic score happening. But then it's also like 1930s Western punching noises put in there throughout the entire fight scene. So it's a lot of like... (laughs) You almost want, like, the Batman pals to pop up on the screen as they're throwing fists. But I think that it's worth giving credit to this movie because I, and we'll dive into this a little bit on our Patreon episode, but I don't 
know many other horror movies that take place in a grocery store and it's like man there are so many interesting ways to kill someone in a grocery store and they don't even utilize them like very well because it's mostly in this movie i mean i'm not complaining i love the kills an intruder but there are like really creative ways that you can kill someone in a grocery store and they didn't use any chemicals they didn't use any food items it was literally just using the stuff in the like the meat cutting area yeah Mm -hmm. did you recognize brian i am almost positive will not but scott maybe did you recognize the first girl that gets killed she's the only one that i think has an off-screen kill no i didn't recognize her as someone specific so i looked at her and i'm like hold on a second is that renee esquivez emilio esquivez's sister who's the star of sleepaway camp 2 and sure enough it's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Renee yeah, I did recognize her. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that's Emilio's sister, but as soon as you said that she was in Sleepaway Camp 2, I basically, like, mentally superimposed Emilio's face over hers, and I was like, oh, my God, it's like a spitting fucking image. They even had the exact same hair swoop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so she's in this. She's Well, I guess I'm double featuring this with the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Emilio! Emilio! This movie also has some really weird... Like, when I said it's shot like a Sam Raimi movie, I wrote that note originally when it's, like, the inside the shopping cart being pushed around the grocery store There shop. are so many. And then there's, like, the in, under the rotary phone. That and like, one this is, the mo- is like, weird. I was going to say I do not like the rotary phone internal shot at all. Well, it just doesn't make sense. But the funny thing is, is that this movie, you're right, it's, like, very artistically shot. And the cinematographer was basically, like, Give me carte blanche and I will just do, like, I will make this movie so much more interesting than in a grocery store. And it's a cool contrast of, like, they, they the whole conceit of this movie is something extraordinary happening in a really mediocre, like, ordinary place, right? Like, crazy murders mm-hmm. happening in a grocery store, like a store, a place where you would never feel unsafe. And so I feel like, stylistically, they were like cinematographer guy or lady whatever we want you to make it as artistic as possible because we want it to feel like almost german expressionist ideals of you know like a fucking grocery store it's super super cool i I, that's this is only my second time watching this the first time i watched i'd never even heard of it and then we watched it for reddit horror club and i was that's the only takeaway that i had from this movie like i forgot who the killer was i remembered the Couple, a couple of the kills, but I remember the rotary phone thing more than anything else because it's just so odd and out of place when you first see it. But then when you think about the whole point of the film, you're like, that is so clever. I mean, at least to me, I, th- I think this movie is super clever. Yeah, I think that on the grand scale of like one and done slasher movies, a lot of them are kind of forgotten. And I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, this is better than say Dream Warriors or this is better than like Jason Lives or or some of these like iconic franchise killers. But like, do I think that this is a more enjoyable watch than like the original Prom Night or Terror Train or a lot of those like one-off slasher films? I think that this is a still quite a hidden gem among the horror industry like i feel yeah this has never gotten it's it's like cult status which is very odd to me yeah like the dvd that i own is from like a bare bones full moon pictures release and oh, like does full moon have the the rights to this i think they did at a time i don't know if they oh, still okay. do but it's like this is the type of movie that like 
you should have like a vinegar syndrome put out like a crazy double disc blu-ray if they're going to put out a double disc blu-ray for spookies they absolutely should be doing a double disc blu-ray for intruder because i think that this is one that like all it needs is a little bit of press that they're putting this movie out on blu-ray and people are going to check it out and i think a lot of people are going to be like holy shit how did i not care about like know about this movie because i think it's it's got that gore level where like my uh, my bloody Valentine, my bloody Valentine, which one day we'll talk about. I can't believe we've never done it for the show. But like my bloody Valentine is one of those movies where when I watched it, when it fir- when I was first getting into horror, I didn't really care about it. And then maybe 10 years ago, uh, Scream Factory was like, we're putting out the uncut director's cut with all of the gore at it back in. And, like, watching it with, like, the gore, I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the best slasher movies I've ever seen. It's so, it's in that range of, like, what is the most in-your-face, we are not going to imply that something happened. We're way past that. We are showing it happen. And that's where you're getting, like, I wrote down a few of these, but, like, the the skull crush in the trash compactor where it's like an explosion of gore, the hook in the face where it cuts to the guy just Ah. literally dangling from the hook. And then finally the big one that's become the cover for some people, the face slice uh, where they cut the face in half on the jawline and you're just like watching it go through. Like, obviously it's not like it's, Ooh, that looks like a real head. But it, it's like the implication is just so unsettling. And like I that's why I rank this so high compared to like a lot of those other one off slasher movies. You're selling me. <laughs> I, I, you I know, think, I would I think I, I like would, this movie in hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> I would kill for a blue version of this with like because uh, it already I, I think that this movie visually holds up because, you know, when we watched Motel Hell, I was like, this looks so much better than the first time I watched it. Uh, when I watched the blue version, like that remaster, I feel like this movie already looks good, you know, for for its time. Like it had, I mean, they used good film, you know, um, and good cameras. Like all the equipment was was uh, higher quality than say Demon Wind. But I would absolutely love to see what they could do with restoring it even more, because that would. And and you're right. I I feel like people don't know about it just because it's kind of scarce and it's and it doesn't have. A creature. A lot of the cult stuff has to have. We were talking about that in Motel Hell. Like the cult factor has to have that one image, right? And like the image that I think of in this is when the guy is cut in half and it says half off. Yeah, that's such a great visual. But at the same time, you're not going to know that that's not from any slasher movie, right? Like I think that this movie just doesn't have the the little like you know mental like that mnemonic device for people. And w- and if we got a, a really nice restored version with extra features and stuff, and a little bit of a, a like a med- social media push from someone like Vinegar Syndrome, that would be it. Would it would be? I mean, I would buy it. I would I would actually finally buy a Blu-ray player. So so you know? apparently so apparently it has. I'm looking at the release information right now, and it's been put out a couple times, but there's been never any promotion for it. It looks like Synapse put it out on DVD and Blu-ray in 2011, and then. I don't know who 88 Films is, but in 2017, 88 Films released the film on Blu-ray and DVD with bonus features, a double-sided cover art, and a restored image. And then the version that I have, I guess, is the 2019 Full Moon just threw out a 30 anniversary DVD, but it's like nothing special. So it's it's almost like they put it out, 
no one jumped about it, and then they were like, all right, just fuck it, just throw it out on DVD, I guess, no one cares, but, like, it's, it's, I think... That's a shame. Yeah, like, but I think that you need, like, Synapse, it's kind of like, that was, no one was really getting into the, the vintage DVDs quite yet in 2011, but, like, in 2017, if that was a Vinegar Syndrome or a Scream Factory release, it would have been everywhere. They would have been promoting that as, like, their big summer release, and it would have gotten some head... Like, because, God, the amount of attention that, like, Scream Factory put on, like, something like The Fan a year or two ago, where it's like... What? Yeah, like, they were just like, yo, we're putting out The Fan on Blu-ray. And it's like, that is, like, a very mild thriller at best, but they treat those movies like they are the golden age of horror. So it's like, you need a company that's got the, the marketing money to make the movie feel important versus like just kind of tossing it out there and hoping for the best. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel really silly not knowing that there was a blue out there, but I mean, I didn't either. Um, I was the one that was like, it needs to be on Blu-ray. And it's like, Oh, apparently it was twice already, but like on companies <laughs> that don't have marketing budgets to make anyone know or care that it's available. One of the things that I'm surprised Brian, I mean, we've been kind of talking all over without letting Brian even get a word in Brian. How did you feel about the long drawn out shot that just led to an unflushed turd joke? Oh, a plus <laughs> a plus. <laughs> Just with the acting of his face when he realized that he was looking at uh, Dookie was... <laughs> as soon as that scene happened, I'm like, well, got to bring this up for Brian. <laughs> so do we have a favorite character? We were talking about... We we recorded the, the Spookies episode Pothead. just before this. Is that the guy? Really? He's so annoying. He's such a bad actor because he sounds... His character is the one that I wrote the most quotes down from as well. Because it's just like this nasally obnoxious voice. <laughs> like yeah. I just remember the one, the one line that I wrote, and it's not even like a particularly funny line. It's just the way he says it is when he asks Dave for something and Dave gives it to him. He's like, got it. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> like everything that he says sounds like he should be a cartoon character on a 90s action cartoon. Yeah. Like he'd fit right in on like Street Sharks. <laughs> but I was thinking him working an elevator as a dog. That's what I pictured him as. <laughs> oh my Droopy God. dog. Yeah, yeah. Going, going down. down. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, a uh, friend of the show, I was texting the other day, Robert Bacon, because I was watching the Mighty Ducks animated series on Disney+. Plus. I hope Megan doesn't listen to this episode and find out that there's more Mighty Ducks. No, 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 no. The Mighty Ducks animated series is, without a doubt, the most insane attempt at making an animated version of a famous movie, because the Mighty Ducks animated series is about... A team of alien ducks who like to play hockey, but also fight in space battles. Are you selling me on this idea now? But I was texting Bacon because I was like, can you think of an easier job in the world than writing for a 90s Saturday morning kids action show? Because I feel like you just have to write the one script and then you just sell that exact same script to Mighty Ducks, to Street Sharks, to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because it's like, kids are dumb. They'll watch the same premise of an episode four times if it's four different characters doing it. Hell yeah, dude. Like, remember Arthur and his Knights of Justice? That was my shit. Dude, I mean, even like, imagine imagine writing for Mighty uh, Morphin Power Rangers in the 90s. Where like, all your job is, is to watch an already shot show, <laughs> write 
maybe five pages of dialogue for the American actors to read when they're not in the suits. And then just, like, bring them into a studio and be like, uh, can you say, ooh? <laughs> and like, <laughs> and like, we just need some voiceovers for every time you get punched. Easy money. Easy money. And that's why that show is still producing new content, like, 30 years later. is because it costs nothing to do. I, I agree with you. The stoner character, best character for me. No, dude. I, I loved Ted Raimi. I, I literally could watch Ted Raimi make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I'd be happy because that dude is just, he just has this like little goofy smile that he does for all, like all the time. And he's not a good actor. Like he's literally, he just plays Ted Raimi. And um, it's just so charming to me. I love Ted Raimi. Speaking of Peeny and Jays, <laughs> I converted Jade this week. Uh-oh. Because I was making a sandwich. I was going to make a peanut butter and jelly and I just wasn't feeling it. So I was like, I'm going to make a peanut butter banana sandwich, Elvis style. And she said, that is atrocious. And I like to cut my sandwiches in half when I, when I make them. And she just picks up my plate and takes a bite, chews it, eats the whole half. And I've had to make her three sandwiches thus far this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's her new obsession. But be careful because I'm pretty sure those... I mean, also the pills, but... I, I sure think it was the pills and the fried chicken, buddy. <laughs> yeah. He didn't die of a potassium overdose on the toilet. <laughs> the weirdest thing to me is, like, we all know this information about Elvis. We all know that he liked peanut butter and banana sandwiches, took a shit ton of pills, and died on the pooper. Why do we know that? Because I feel like I know that because so many kids' cartoons when we were growing up had no problem bringing up those facts all the time about Elvis. Like, I feel like if you watch an Animaniacs episode, it's like, yeah, El here's our Elvis drawing. And it's like a big fat guy eating a peanut butter and banana sandwich and then, like, dying on the crapper. Like, kid Oh, yeah, I could, I could win a, a trivia game based on the tragedies of Elvis's life. But if somebody's like... Elvis Presley is famously known as the King of Rock. Name five songs now. I would lose. Oh, I could do it. I could do it. Oh, man, here we go. Oh, we know you could. I got, I got Jailhouse Rock and uh, Blue Suede Shoes or uh, Blue Christmas. Blue Christmas. Okay. That's the two. Okay, I won't even take those. Don't Be Cruel. Can't Help Falling in Love With You. Ha uh, Heartbreak Hotel. Don't Be Cruel. Teddy Bear. Boom. Congratulations, Matt. You are lonely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving to Kansas. That'll make more sense if you listen to the re-rental episode. But yeah, so this is a fun movie. I, I I definitely wish that this movie had more of an audience because it is just a good... And again, I mean, I say this all the fucking time, but blissfully short, under 90 minutes, just in and out. It does take a bit to get to the kills, but I, I think that the movie's goofy enough leading up to that it takes a bit to get to the movie yeah it is three minutes of a moon <laughs> that, yeah no the opening if you need to hit the skip button at all the opening credits is a prime time for that because it is yeah a static shot of the moon which i remember at one point when i was writing the screenplay for describing the moon that was supposed to be how our opening credits would be and now that I've seen that in action, uh, I don't think that would have been a smart idea to to <laughs> entice people to watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> if you ever decided to finish it, what the opening credit should be is you just get a bunch of little kids and you ask them to describe the moon. And it'll be an adorable way to start your drama. <laughs> yeah. That's actually so quite clever. Um, and I really hate the fact that 
that would work so well because <laughs> I have no I have no desire to watch the film because I I mean like I love you Matt but I hate dramas so much that I don't want to feel those feelings. It's not a especially drama. When I it's know a, the pain that they It was a dramedy at best. But... It was written after he watched Garden State. Yeah. So it is a drama <laughs> with some humor <laughs> sprinkled in. Yeah, that sounds exactly right. I have two things to say before we get into double features, okay? All right. So the scene where I don't, I don't remember anybody's names, obviously. That's fine. The guy who I think he asks the girl from Sleepaway Camp to uh, Emilio Estevez's sister out. I think that they were supposed to go out or something. Or I can't remember. Or maybe it was the girl, guy that was making out with the girl whose ex-boyfriend was, like, stalking the store. I don't know. But he goes, what stupid idiot put this? Oh, I did. And I, like, paused the movie and just considered how many times I've gotten upset in my life and blamed someone else for me placing something somewhere that I didn't remember. I'm like, where the fuck is my phone? Who put, oh. You know, like, that's just like me every day. It's it's so painful. So the other thing I wanna talk about is the gotcha framed ending sucks so bad because it's like supposed to be like, aha, they're gonna be framed for the murders. But like, literally there's no way that, that the killer could have framed anybody. Forensically, like once forensics comes in, they would see that there's like blood all over that dude, there's blood under his fingernails, there's probably his blood on other people from attacking them and getting hurt in the process. Like, it would fall apart as soon as they brought in the forensics team. And so this movie, like, I've been thinking a lot about this because I've been watching a lot of um, 2020 horror movies and um, trying to get through my list before the end of the year. And I don't know if we need gotcha endings in every fucking horror movie. I put so much of a blame on the original Carrie. I feel like ending that movie with the hand jumping out of the grave and giving everybody this jump scare to send them home on built this like tone in horror films where there has to be a big... Like, it can't just have a happy ending. There has to be something. They have to get framed. Or there has to... The monster's not really dead. Or, like, ooh, this person's getting attacked at the very last second. Like, it it really kind of makes it where it's like, well, that's more expected than a happy ending anymore. So, like, if you actually yeah. just gave me a happy ending, I'd be like, huh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it doesn't always have to be, like, Oh, they died in the in the very end, or 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 something like really bad happened. When I talk about my movie this for for the week, um, I'll get to that. It's kind of why it's been on my mind, but I just don't know. It feels like since it's expected, it loses the impact. Like I think that the end of every horror movie could and maybe should have something that makes you think, but it doesn't have to be like they did it. They killed everyone, or like Jason jumping out of the jumping onto the boat in the end of the original Friday the 13th yeah. stuff like that you know like I'm I'm all about a good we, we make the joke the referencing joke but uh I'm all about a good good for her ending you know what I mean like yeah like those are fun we're making an ad napping yeah. ad this is where I think if we're doing it right Alec Baldwin comes in he says a couple things mm -hmm. he listens to the podcast every week yep. Has he been canceled? Was Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. <laughs> so, um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. <laughs> 
Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. But yeah, so let's. So while you're talking about what did you watch this week, obviously there's one step that we need to get to before that. So let's talk yeah, about yeah. some double features. So my double feature, it's kind of a weird one, but there's a lot that this movie kind of has in common with. Black Christmas, and I obviously were discussing the this, original. Yeah, the original Black Christmas, and we're obviously discussing this in December, so it just makes even more sense for us to talk about uh, to put on Black Christmas after this. Dude, I have no problem putting on Black Christmas anytime between November twenty fourth and December twenty fourth. Like that movie is always a Christmas movie for me. Like you know, some people are like, I gotta watch Die Hard because it's after Thanksgiving, and I'm like. I gotta watch Black Christmas because yeah. that's one of the greatest horror movies of all time. It really is. It is such a standout movie. But that is my double feature for Intruder. Brian, why don't you go, buddy? I will pick a movie in honor of my friend Scott. So I want to watch a movie, a slasher movie in a store. And this store for a grocery store was really big. Like the 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 basement and everything. I was like, man, this is a really big store. What's what's I wish there was a word for a really big store. There is. It's called mall. So I would watch this with chopping mall. You and son Scott. of a bitch. Was that yours? That was going to be mine. I was like, I got this one in the bag. Um, shit fuck. Uh, now, well, then I would pick, god damn. Um, oh, no. Oh, there's no. a, a less superior one that's my pick that also takes place in a store. And it happened after a night with something in space. What is? What are you talking about? Night of the Comet. <laughs> Oh, Night of the Comet. Oh, yeah, dude. We could, you, you could, yeah, basically anything that's in a mall, you could do like Dawn of the Dead. You could yeah. do, I mean, nobody really wants to watch Dawn of the Dead. Like, that movie is so long. <laughs> it's not Day of the Dead, though, but, uh, you know, like, I don't know. As your double feature, I feel like Dawn of the Dead is a real hard, uh, hard one to add in. But um, let's go with, I don't know, maybe like Return of the Living Dead because it's in a warehouse. All right. And, it, and you know, like, I'll go with that. You know, like if if I if I really can't pick Shopping Mall, because if I was being a real brat, I would be like, "Well, you can pick Shopping Mall. I'll pick Killbots. It's the same fucking movie, just <laughs> a different name." But uh, yeah, I, I, let's just say I'll, I'll go with uh, I'll go with Return of the Living Dead. Can't go wrong. All right. So the what did I watch this week? I actually didn't watch anything that I want to talk about on the show, but this is coming out in December. I already mentioned Christmas once, and hey, guess who has a new podcast? This guy, Christmas 365. It's me and a former guest, Dylan, talking about 
Christmas. So go and check that out. It's a bunch of our friends geeking out about Christmas. We've got friends of the show, including Joey from Dark Hills Events, Joe from Fright School. Obviously, Dylan is doing the show. And, you know, you know, Marissa from Jersey Ghouls is going to pop up in there eventually. There'll be plenty of people that you're like, hey, I remember them from Horror Movie Night. I wonder what their thoughts are on Christmas time. Well, we've got a show for you. So go check out <laughs> Christmas 365. I haven't listened to any of it yet. I don't have special privileges because Matt's my brother. But I will say anyone that is, I'm going to just make an assumption. Anyone that is feeling sad, just having a rough day, find whatever episode joe from sprite school because getting joe to talk about something like christmas will just melt anyone's heart and i can promise that not saying all the other guests would be great i'm excited to hear them but joe has just got such a just such a christmas vibe <laughs> i don't know what it is but i'm done with my pitch you guys can go ahead and talk about you know the movies that you've watched well i want to uh bring up two things they kind of feed into my complaint about the very end of Intruder, um, which is really not an, a complaint. It's because, like, when this movie came out, it was much fresher of a concept, you know? I, well, relatively fresher. It's been, you know, 30 years. I would say that the gotcha ending of the movies that we, you know, that we watch, it's it's a little tiring but i think that it can be done well did i talk about rewatching stonehurst asylum with megan no man that movie's so good that movie is just such a like that's such a great movie for megan and i to watch because it's a little bit dark it's a little bit violent uh it's a period piece and it's got jim sturgis in it and megan's got a huge crush on jim sturgis such a good movie never gonna get to talk about it on this show but it's got a gotcha ending that I like because that gotcha ending feels very Victorian. But then I also watched uh, one of my 2020 movies that I watched was uh, Sputnik from, uh, it's a Russian film. Have you heard about it? No. No. Uh, I went deep, deep into what's being released this year as I am want to do in late November, early December to uh, catch anything that I didn't give a chance to beforehand. Sputnik caught my eye because it's a creature feature. It's supposed to be Russia in 1993, I believe. And these astronauts come back down from space and, you know, an alien comes with them, obviously. I'm not giving much away by that because it's a well-tread story. It's it's actually in Russian. Like I, I watched it with subtitles and I, I appreciated that because it felt like it wasn't an American movie, you know, like it, it felt like it had a, a, a very different style and, and just a, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't over the top, like a lot of American horror is. And that's fine. Like I like that too, but it was a nice change of pace, but Sputnik also has kind of a gotcha ending, but it's done in a very interesting way. Um, it's kind of a positive ending, but it still has that like uh, aha at the very end. So I would recommend if you have an hour and 50 minutes, this is long, I think it might've been an hour and 50 minutes or something like that, um, or maybe an hour and 45, but it's uh, it's it's kind of a slow burn. It's more of a character study. Um, it's small cast. I think that there were maybe five main characters. There are other, you know, like extras, but you know, five characters that really spoke most of the time. And um, some pretty good creature effects. So, you know, it's nothing that you haven't seen before, but uh, it was a cool take. And it takes place, like I said, in 1993 in this Soviet research facility. So it's got a very Stranger Things kind of vibe to it. I'd recommend it. Brian, how about you? Last one. Okay. uh, I'm also going to do some self-promotion. 
uh, for a podcast that I have coming out this month. It talks about uh, the whole basis is we're looking into capitalism behind holidays and the the negative evil side of Christmas. It's called Christmas 666 uh, and it'll be on Spotify. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I don't have much to talk about. I've been trying to hold off until I finish the season, but I can't because I just it just has been my highlight and I always forget that it comes out on Fridays and then it's out. And I just like, I, I I've been really enjoying Mandalorian season. Oh, two. I'm waiting. I'm waiting <laughs> until it's over to talk about it, but man, <laughs> Oh man. I know. I'm enjoying it so much. We hate the only thing that we hate about it is that it's like half hour episodes. Yeah. And I was so going to say like, the episodes are way shorter this season, went, but they set you up. It was 55 minutes. Episode one, 55 episode two, 45 Last night was 35. And I'm like, you can't keep doing this to me. You They're going to be a 10-minute episode in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So that was Intruder from 1989 as picked by me. Next week, we're going to talk about crime, zombie crime with Scott's pick. So strap in for that. And we'll be back with new episodes of the show every single Thursday night or Friday morning, depending on what time zone you live in. And hop over to Patreon, patreon.com backslash HMM podcast for our little conversation, maybe like 10 minutes talking about weird locations for slasher movies. Thanks for supporting us guys. Bye. We're making an ad. Napping ad. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm -hmm. He listens to the podcast every week. Has he been canceled? Was Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. (laughs) So um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.